The Gospel reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, in the Common English Bible, which is your pew Bible. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel, listen. Our God is one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The legal expert said to him, well said, teacher. You have truthfully said that God is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love God with all your heart, a full understanding and all of one's strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered with wisdom, he said to him, you aren't far from God's kingdom. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, I was wondering, if I were to walk up to your house today, like if we were to go to your house, and right now I was to go and we were to walk up to your front door, what's, on your, what's there when we walk up to your front door right now? Maybe I'll let you answer that even. Like, what's on your, so on our door, if you were to walk up, you'd still see a Christmas wreath and Christmas lights on our door, right? What else, what else would you see when people come to your door? What would you see? A wreath, okay. Welcome mat, right? That's me. When I welcome people, I'm a welcome mat. Um, oh. All right, let's keep going. All right, sorry. So what else would people see? What else do you have? Maybe do you have a banner or a flag? Do you have your family name there to identify your family? Hopefully, yeah, Jackson, what do you got? Address, yeah, very important. Fire department needs to know that if they ever have to show up, which is good to have visually uh, displayed. A mailbox, that's right, good. So you have different things. So I came across a couple things, thanks to the Google, uh, a couple things, like here's a sign, somebody says, welcome friends and family, please check your political and religious views at the door. Some of you may now be running out to buy one of these signs now that we've seen it, right? This next one I'm going to call enter at your own risk, but this is what's on the door. It's uh, welcome to our happy, crazy, fun, loud, messy, caring, loving home. And I kind of like, I stop at that sign and I go, do I really want to go in there? You know, is it, is, do, which parts do I really want to get, you know? So, like, there's some things on there that I really appreciate. There are things I'm not sure I want to go in, right? And so there's different ways that we welcome people into our homes. Or we, we identify ourselves and we identify what's going to happen in this house or in this place. And is it a place of welcome and so forth. And then we also have ways of identifying. Now, if we were to walk up to a devout Jewish home today and even in the past maybe even 2,000 years ago, as well as today, we would see something else in the doorway of that home. 
And you can see it, this is an example of it, on the doorway of the home, on the door frame, is a little bo- is a box, it's called a mezuzah. And inside of that box is a parchment, a piece of parchment that a scribe would write the words that Jesus just said in the text today. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. These are the words. Jesus repeats them from Deuteronomy here in the Gospel of Mark. It says, Israel, listen. See the exclamation part? point? I'm sorry, exclamation point. Our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Basically saying, this was a constant reminder every time you come to the doorway, and sometimes they would be in multiple doorways in a Jewish home, to remind them of this verse. They would know this verse by heart. They would have committed it to memory, and every time they walked through that door, they were reminded of this verse, to give your whole self to give your whole house, to give all that you have to loving God. That's what they would remember. And sometimes you'll even see a devout Jew when they walk in the house, they will touch the mezuzah as a reminder, or they'll, they'll, they'll touch it or make a sign that they're remembering. That's their remembering, their acknowledgement of what's in there. So Jesus quotes this. Now, interesting that Jesus quotes this to a scribe. So he quotes it to a scribe who came to him about this. And then he adds this next part of the verse, right? He adds this from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And he says, you will, you will love your neighbor as yourself. I, it, it didn't make it optional. Did you notice that? I, I love CV versions. It says, there's no, this isn't optional. It's like, well, you could love your neighbor, you know, or, you know, love your neighbor if you feel like it, but it's, you will love your neighbor. And Jesus adds it. So Jesus takes a verse from, the, from Deuteronomy, Old Testament book in the first five books of the Bible, takes another verse from Leviticus chapter 19 and puts them together here in this text. And he's speaking to a scribe. Now, what we don't get in the text this morning is what's been going on. So this is after a part in the Bible where Jesus goes into the temple and he turns over the, te- the tables in the temple. This is later, after this. And so he's teaching in the temple after this episode in, in the Gospel of Mark where he goes in and says this system in the temple of sacrifice and money changing is broken. This is a broken system, and you as the religious leaders are taking advantage of people, especially the poor, and you're taking advantage of them. And we need. And this is a house of prayer. This is a house... Uh, this is not to be, you're not supposed to be abusing this system of worship and taking advantage of people. And so he goes in, he turns over the tables, he drives out the money changers. So at this point in the gospel, what's happening is these religious leaders are coming to him. They keep sending different people to Jesus to trap him. They have an agenda. They're trying to get him to slip up or say something wrong so they can arrest him and eventually crucify him. So they're looking for something in his teaching that they can point to that's wrong. So they send in these guys called the Pharisees. The Pharisees come in, they ask him a question about paying taxes to Caesar, and he answers their question. So then they send in this other group of religious leaders called the Sadducees, and he sends them in and they start asking questions about marriage and resurrection and theological interpretations about that. And so these leaders keep coming to Jesus with these questions, trying to trip him up, trying to have the, having this agenda. And then comes a scribe. Now, a scribe in that time period would have been someone who copied and wrote scripture. 
put it down on parchment. In fact, the scribe is the very one who would have wrote on that piece of parchment and put that parchment into that mezuzah for, of that day. So that was part of his role. So you think about this. So he comes and he's asking Jesus actually a genuine question. So, so Jesus, we've heard all this teaching. What's, tell us what's the bottom line? <laughs> what's the foundation? What's, what's the big important thing that we should be doing? And Jesus goes right back to the heart and the verse that the scribe knew so well and had written so many times. I love that Jesus connects to the scribe. I don't know if you pick up on that. But here all the other religious leaders are coming with this agenda. But when the scribe comes with a genuine curiosity, a genuine question rather than an agenda, Jesus connects with him. Not only to teach, say that this, these are the greatest command, this is the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor, but notice that he's also meeting the scribe in where he's at. He would have known these scriptures. He connects to the scribe. And this is what I love about Jesus. You know, if you and I come to Jesus with an agenda or trying to trap Jesus or trip Jesus up or get Jesus to prove something to us, we're probably not going to get a connection. (laughs) But when we come with genuine questions and genuine curiosity and genuine desire to know more and to learn, that's when Jesus meets us. That's where Jesus meets us. And Jesus will connect with us in our lives and what we're doing in that place. That's just something I would note. But we also have to go back and say, what made Jesus add Leviticus 19.18? What made Jesus add this part of loving your neighbor? You will love your neighbor as yourself. What's going on here? And what Jesus is doing is consistent. This is totally consistent with Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you'll discover that every time the religious leaders are coming to Jesus with something, he's pointing them to this idea that they've built this broken system, and at the same time, they're not loving the people around them. See, that's the problem with the religious leadership of that day, and I would say even of today. We see this today. But what he's challenging them is he's like, if you love God then that ought to translate in your life for love for other people. These two can't be separated out. You maybe think you're doing a great job of loving God, but if it's not translated out into your love for other people, it's not really taking root in you. You you may not really love God. These two things are connected. And what he's saying is that our inner love for God is to give outward expression to our love for others. That's the connection that Jesus is making. And so... This is this consistent message you'll find throughout the whole Gospels. So last fall, I'm going to go with this second part of this, this verse here of loving our neighbors. And last fall, we did a, a book study called Everybody Always. And in one of those weeks, we did an exercise where we had people in our small groups, we had people look at their neighborhood and try and name all the closest eight neighbors around them. If you did that, you remember that. If you didn't do that, here's the reminder, Right? And so this actually comes from another book I discovered and uh, called The Art of Neighboring. And in this book, they actually go into more detail about that exercise. And they've done this exercise across the United States. And they've done this with several, many different groups of people. And they go and they ask them to fill in, think about the eight people in, that live closest to you. And so if you're in Wyoming on a ranch, you think about the eight closest ranches, you know. If you're in Seattle, you think about the eight 
closest houses to where you live. If you're in the suburbs, you think about what, who are those people on your cul-de-sac, right? And so they're thinking that. And here's the questions they actually ask people to fill in for each of the boxes. The first question is, do you know the names of the people who live in that house? Do you know the names? Meaning, have you met them? You know, you've met them, you know their name. You've introduced yourself, right? That's level one. Level two question was, do you know any relevant information about them that live in that house, like where they work or what their favorite football team is, which is the Seahawks, right? Those types of things. You want to know if they're a Seahawk fan or, or not, those types of things. I saw some Green Bay fans today. We won't point those out to you today. Um, but anyway, so they're like, what's some relevant information about them? So that means not only have you met them, but you've had a conversation with them and you've gotten some information about them. And then the third level question was, do you know anything about them in terms of, the, have you made a connection with them? Do you know what their interests are? Do you know what motivates them? What, what's uh, going on in their lives on a, on a more personal level? So they, see that? So you've met them, you know their name, you've had a conversation with them, you know some information about them, or you've actually had a, made a connection, a relational connection with them, and you know something about their life, right? So those are three levels. They ask people to fill out the boxes. Here's the result that they came across. 10% of people know the names of all eight neighbors. 10%. 90, so that means 90% of us don't even know the names of, our neighbor, of, of most of our neighbors. Level two, about 3% know something information, relevant information about each of those neighbors. And then less than 1% actually know anything of interest or made a connection with one of those neighbors. So, <laughs> when Jesus said, will you love your neighbor as yourself, the question remains, are we loving our neighbors? Are we, live, are we loving those people in closest proximity to us? We think about loving the world and connecting and serving the world, and we think about all these levels, and there's multiple levels we can look at, right? But really, if we boil it down to the simplest, basic idea that Jesus was coming to, he was basically just saying, what, what about the people right around you? Like, do you love them? <laughs> right? Do you care about them? And can, have you made an effort to do that? And as we look at this study, we realize what? We haven't. And I would say I haven't. I'm in the 90% along with many of us. Some of you guys are great neighbors. Would you move next door to me, by the way? So... <laughs> Um, they're building a new house right next to me. You could buy it, I'm sure, for a couple million dollars and move right in, and you'd be good. So you see what I'm saying? So there's this idea that, you know, there's people right around. So what's keeping us from that? What, what's stopping us? And that's what we're going to talk about right now. And next week, I'm going to talk about something else that keeps us from doing that. But for today, I want to talk about the one thing that I think keeps us from doing that, and that's Time. Time. We don't take the time, or we don't have the time, or we don't make the time, whatever, however we want to phrase it. There's the, the time is a limiter. Because see, what's happening is we're living life at such a pace that there's no time left to build relationships. That's what's happening. Here are the three lies. That, I'm borrowing these from the book, The Art of Neighboring, but three lies we tell ourselves about time. The first, one in, the first one is, things will settle down one day. They will, you're right, when you're dead. <laughs> That's when they'll settle down, right? 
or you and I actually put some margin in our schedules, in our time use, and we actually make time for a relationship to happen. We actually have to build time. We have to create space for that. So either we'll die, and that's when we'll settle down, or we'll actually start to create some room in our lives for, for that. You know, some mornings I wake up, I don't know if you have this experience. I'm assuming you do. I wake up and I think, I'm going to do this today and do that today and do this today. And I've got my task list in my brain. And then usually by the time I get to the end of the day, I didn't get any of those things done, right? And then I'm going, you know, because I either ran out of time or I ran out of energy, right? Those two things. But I want you, do we have any list people here with me? Do I, get, do I have anybody like this with me, right? They want to get things done, Here's the problem. Nobody ever ends up on my list. Relationships aren't on the list. Me spending time with somebody isn't on the list, except for my lovely wife. But anyway, other than that, there are, but even that, you see what I'm saying? Is it notice that it's task, 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 task. And we never put on our list person, neighbor, relative, friend, are they on our list? Do we think about them when we get up in the morning and think, how can I build this relationship with a friend, with a neighbor, with someone at the co my coworker? Am I thinking about that, right, when I get up in the morning? I'm just confessing to you, I don't always think that way. I hope that some of you do, because that's what Jesus called us to do. Here's the second lie. More will lead to contentment. Having more will somehow lead me to a place of contentment or peace. And that's what you think. We think that way, right? If I just made a little bit more money, then I could be happy. I could be content. If I just had a little bit more clothes to wear that would make me look better, that would make me content. If I just had a little bit more of a car or a a little bit more house or a little bigger house to live in. You know, if I just had a little more, then I'd feel less stressed and, I'd, and maybe I'd feel better, right? And we keep thinking this idea that if we keep having, if we just had a little more, then we'd be happy or content. The problem is we do get more and we get that little more and we're still not content. We get a little bit more stuff. We get a little bit more this. We get a little bit more that. We get a little bit more salary. We get a little bit more money. We get a little bit more of a car. We get all these little bit mores, and still we're wanting a little bit more, and we're not really content with our lives. And that's part of it. Because the thing that will make us content isn't more. Sometimes less is more. Lie number three, everybody lives this way. Everybody lives this way. If you're around other people living like this, then you assume, you and I assume, this is the way we're supposed to be living. How many people drive the speed limit? Anybody? Do anybody? <laughs> it's okay if you do. I like to see that some people are like, yeah, I drive the speed limit. And what happens when we're on the highway? What do we say when, when somebody looks over and says, you know you're going 10 miles over the speed limit? What do we say? I'm just going with the flow of traffic, right? That's what we say. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. <laughs> and if you slow down, what happens? People honk their horns at you, if you, especially if you're in the left lane where you're not supposed to be, and those types of things. You see what I'm saying, right? But we think this, we, that's what we say, right? 
I'm just going with the flow. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. This is the way, way things are, right? We just accept it, right? We just accept this. The problem is, is that when we live by these lies and we live by these things, it's interesting to ask the question like, okay, so we're doing all this. We're living all this way. We're living this way and we're living, listening to these things we tell ourselves. So what's the reason that people are experiencing more loneliness today? What's the reason that people are experiencing a lack of community today? Why is it that people are experiencing more isolation today? Why is that happening? If these lies are, tr- are truths, they're not, right? See, here's the thing. You and I, we're wired for relationships. That's why Jesus says, love God, relationship to God, and love your neighbor, relationship to other people. Those two things are the core of who we are. And if we isolate ourselves from those two relationships in our pursuit of more, in pursuit of success or pursuit of whatever it is that we're pursuing, we're going to pay a cost. Now, I'm at the age now where I can start to say, back in the old days, right, you know, where I can look back and I'm, I feel like now I'm at this season of life where I, am, I like have, I, you know, my daughters would say, you're just getting old, Dad, but, you know, I'm starting to say, you know, I've got some a, sage advice to give to the next generation, right? And so one of the things I would say, looking back, is that this, there's a cost. There's a cost. Our pursuit of success and our maintenance of success, there's a cost. And where it costs us is in relationship. It's costing us something. We're giving up something to pursue success, to maintain success. We're giving up something to do that. And what we're probably giving up, at least my own experience says, what I gave up was relationship. I gave up relationship. You see, if we're really honest with some of, our, of ourselves, sometimes I didn't even, not only did I not have time for my neighbor, I sometimes didn't even have time for the people living in my house. Do you understand? There's a cost. There's a cost. It costs us our relationship to God and our relationship to other people. The challenge with this is that even if you and I slow down, start driving 55 while the world's doing 80, the world will pass us by, right? That's the problem. That's the stress. That's the challenge. But will we be happier? Will we be more content? Will we experience relationship? Yes. Yes. We will. Notice that the scribe connects with Jesus' answer. Notice that when the scribe connects with Jesus, he actually rephrases and takes what Jesus says, kind of paraphrases it, showing to Jesus that that I've made a connection. I agree with you. I, I get it, Jesus. He says to love God with all of the heart, a full understanding, and all of one's strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important, much more important than all kinds of entirely burnt offerings and sacrifices. So one, he's talking about the system, the broken system of the temple. And he's saying that this system is broken and it's more important for us to love God, just love God and love our neighbor than to keep feeding into this corrupt system, this broken system. But if we take that same idea of the scribe 
and we apply it to our system of our society today that's broken us, that's broken, right? Isn't this more important? Isn't our love of God and love of neighbor more important than continuing to feed in to our broken system? Isn't it? Isn't it? And then what is Jesus' response to that, right? Because he gets it. He's like, yeah, Jesus, you got it. You're speaking my language. You connected with me. You brought me back to the foundation. You brought me back basically to the Garden of Eden, right? God created Adam. Adam's in relationship with God. But says, you know, it's not good for you to be alone. You're not supposed to live this life alone without relationships. I'm going to make Eve. And so God creates another human being from Adam and says, you're to be in partnership. You're to be not be alone. Alo- loneliness was not God's creation. Isolation was not God's creation. So we, but notice that that's what we're created for. And what are the things that will last forever? What are the things that are eternal? People. Right. This building's not eternal. My car's not eternal. My house is not eternal. My clothes are not eternal. None of that. The Seahawks are not eternal. Right? It's relationships. People and God, they're eternal. Those are the most important things in our lives. Those are the most important things around us. This is Jesus' response to the scribe. You aren't far from God's kingdom. You aren't far from God's kingdom. You see, when we get it, when we understand this important truth that Jesus is teaching us, we get closer to God's kingdom. Are you getting closer? You know, you know that I, some of you know that I went backpacking a couple years ago. We went to Glacier National Park. Favorite, one of my favorite national parks. You've probably heard me say that before if you've heard a sermon before. But I remember this moment. We'd been out for four days eating backpacking food, if you've ever eaten backpacking food. And sleeping, I slept on this really thin mat at night in a tent like, that's like that thick, you know. It's like basic because I didn't want to carry a lot of weight. And I'm carrying all this weight every day on my back, walking. And so I'm, I'm eating this strange food. I'm sleeping on the ground. And fourth day, we're coming back out of the wilderness. We're hiking out of the wilderness. We're coming back to civilization. We're actually hiking into a place called Manny Glacier. And as we're walking back, we come around the turn in the trail, and I can see the van that is going to take us back to a bed, to a hamburger dinner with fries, right? To a shower, to a good night's sleep, to no longer having to lug all this weight on my back, right? And what happens when I get to the van and take off the pack is I know that I'm one step closer to that. I'm one step closer to contentment, right, is what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying, right? When we realize this, we're one step closer to the kingdom. We're one step closer to experiencing what God 
desired for us to experience. And, to, and, and there is something that happens in the soul when we get this. Here's what happens to our souls. They get unburdened. The pack comes off. All the weight comes off of our souls. All the, all the stuff that weighs us down comes off of our souls. And we're like, ah, I'm getting closer to the kingdom. My hope for you and for me is that we will get closer to the kingdom and we'll get closer every time we say, God, I'm going to love you. And neighbor, I'm going to love you too. Let's pray together.